Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. As I do every week on this show, I always tell people to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. I always tell mm. people who talk about their gifts and their passion, leave with your gifts. And don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. My interviews provide the consumer which is you and business owners and entrepreneurs, access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and people I like to call industry decision makers. My next guest is an industry decision maker. Her name is Sunny Hickman. She's the vice president of marketing and sales for the Harlem Globetrotters. You know the Harlem Globetrotters, the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters. They've been showcased in iconic talents in 124 countries and territories on six continents since they were founded in 1926. 1926. Sonny Hickman is the creative powerhouse behind the Harlem Globetrotters 2021 relaunch, orchestrating a team of hand-picked specialists. She used the she ushered the iconic brand through a renewed focus on black culture, ball of life, and social justice. Making decisions like that to a legendary brand does not come without proper planning. Sonny is on the show to discuss her career and these successful brand changes to the Harlem Globetrotters. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Sonny Hickman. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Sonny, I like to believe I laid it out pretty proper about the you well, did. You know, uh, iconic. You the big those big words. You know, when a brand that I grew up on. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna go all the way back to 1926. Why was the Harlem Globetrotters started? Hmm. The Harlem Globetrotters were uh, were started to really bring this uh, celebrate uh, when basketball bring this style of play um, to the country. Um, in a time where um, the Harlem Renaissance was just permeating around the country. And there was this style of play that came from these African-American ballers that um, a gentleman named Abe Saperstein had the fortitude to say, people need to see this and experience it. So that's what started the Harlem Globetrotters. Well, so I was, I'm assuming when you say that it was tied to baby uh uh, you know, a denial of a black athlete for participating in the white sport that they desire. And so they were left with um, just playing with against themselves, like the Negro League, you know, and, and a lot of yep. leagues that were developed out there. The most famous is the Negro League because of baseball and the Jackie Robinson. But there were other situations out there in football, in basketball that were not publicized. And I guess you can say, in a way, the Harlem Globetrotters was, was basketball version of the Negro League. Is that correct in assessing that? It is. And there were other, um, you know, black basketball teams that were playing during that time, you know, when they weren't able to play, you know, in the NBA when they, you know, before the NBA was integrated. Um, I think the Harlem Globetrotters really were the team that um, put it to a whole nother level right. and brought integration into the NBA. Uh, uh, little known fact is they Harlem Globetrotters would actually play a game before the NBA game <laughs> back back in the day. Mm -hmm. And as it would turn out is more people would come see the Harlem Globetrotters game than the NBA. So then they switched. The NBA team would play first 
and then the Globetrotters would play afterwards because they were the ones who were up drawing the fans. Right, people, people packing up their clothes, leaving. I got my snacks, right. my coke. I'm out. I've, I've seen what I came to see. Okay, let, 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 you know, That's I know, right. I know. We all people who Sonny, who's hearing this interview. I'm talking to Sonny Hickman, the vice president of marketing and sales for the Harlem Globetrotters. When we talk about, it, I can, I can have vivid memories of watching ABC, Wide Worlds of Sports. You know, just laughing at these guys who had incredible skill. And making amazing shots. When did the, when were the when were the uh, Holland Glow Trotters introduced into your life? And when they were introduced into your life as a as a as a teen, as a youngster, what effect did they have on the Harlem Glow Trotters have on you? Oh, wonderful question. So I was introduced to the Harlem Glow Trotters through uh, Scooby Doo when the Glow Trotters <laughs> right, were on Scooby Doo, right. as well as right. Remember that? That Absolutely. was um, when I learned. And then Wide World of Sports. Mm-hmm. So I used to see the Globetrotters there. Um, and then when they cameoed on, on Gilligan's Island. So when the Globetrotters were really deep in the pop culture, that's really when I learned them. I, my, my mom um, never could afford to take me and my siblings to see them live. So I never saw the Harlem Globetrotters live growing up. Mm-hmm. But I remember that flash and flair and funny and fun of the Globetrotters uh, growing up. Well, it's really interesting. Like, I, I've actually had the pleasure of visiting your headquarters, and it's almost like walking through a museum, you know, and it's really, it's so much history, and, and it's so, and it defines certain lanes and how the Globetrotters had an impact on our lives, you know, because, you know, even though they were entertainers, they also were crossing you know, international lines. They also were entertainers that everybody could relate to, and especially white America. You know, and that's mm-hmm. all I saw when I watched ABC Wild Wars of Sport was an audience, a stadium or arena filled with white people. What is the audience makeup of what the Globe Charter is attracting right now? Mm-hmm. So I I was talking, I'll tell you a quick story as I answer this question. I was talking to Coach Lou Dunbar, mm-hmm. Pete Lou Dunbar. He's one of our legends. Okay, let me just tell Louis Dunbar graduated from my college, University of Houston. So I know Louis Dunbar, six nine and a half, point guard, point forward. Come on, man, you, can, you can just stop yes. talking to me, Sonny. So you're going to just throw out <laughs> Louis Dunbar like I didn't know who you were talking about. Louis Dunbar, come on. He was he was a point forward, a point forward before they were point forwards. I know him very well. University of Houston mm-hmm. graduate, Louis Dunbar. Continue, continue, mm-hmm. continue. <laughs> so, so I will continue. Right? So for your audience, they may not have known Pete Lou like we do. Yes. So now we put them up on game, spread a little game. So Coach Lou shared with me once, like people would ask them that question, like why would you not um, spend the ball on the fingers of the little you know, black boys or girls at a game? And he would say, I couldn't get to them. They were so far up in the stands because of the tickets that they were able to purchase that they, he couldn't do that. So people of color were there in, in small numbers, mm-hmm. but it was the Globetrotters were primarily um, entertaining white audiences um, and have been doing that for decades. And um, as culture has shifted, right, as this love of basketball has evolved, that's where we need and want to be. We want our audience to reflect um, the kaleidoscope of colors of the globe that we touch and that our players visit. Well, you know, the interesting thing about it because of the fact that the Globe Charters do touch and they, and they do 
uh, you know, they do tricks that are, and I say, uh, you know, I, I'm going to tell you something. Saying the word trick, I think, is an insult. They have a skill set that they've mm-hmm. developed, whether it was the half-court hook shot or dribbling between the legs or the or the uh, the half-court shots, which now, when you see when you see what Steph Curry's doing, they was doing in the Globetrotters a long time ago. Right. Okay, half court three point shots. That was That's part right. of the that was part of the Globetrotters mantra of how they their skill set. And so what it, what That's somebody right. some people have called tricks have not been become part of the uh NBA style of play, the three point shot. And so so when you see that transition, in order for you to come in and be a part of this, you have to come from somewhere. You have to have build your resume from somewhere, Sonny. So I saw Dollywood and talk about uh, developing your brand, walking through these different structures of, of success. Mm. And also you as an individual, a person of color, going in these different lanes where people expect you to be a certain way and you show them that you're able to relate and be able to communicate and market to all. Talk, talk to us, Sonny. Ooh, Wushan. Um, so that flash and flare of the game of basketball. So I basketball runs deep in my roots. Mm-hmm. So my mom uh, raised four kids. She was a big Larry Bird and Magic Johnson fan. 79, so 1979. That's right. <laughs> and then um, I grew up, you know, watching uh, Michael Jordan. I was a big North Carolina fan when J.R. Reed played. Like, that was my squad. My um, husband is a basketball coach. Mm. My son plays basketball. He's in college um, playing basketball now. So I've been around basketball a lot. And I like to think that I'm an assistant coach. Okay. okay. Uh, but can you dribble a basketball? That's all I want to say. Can you dribble a basketball? Come on. <laughs> I got a mean crossover when nobody's around. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, when you see, I, I know when somebody start talking about everybody else, you know, everybody else, they don't say nothing about because you start bragging on yourself first. Now I got a hook shot, I got a jumper from the corner, I got a, That's I right. got a between the legs, I got around the back. You ain't say nothing about yourself. You talk about your mama, you talk about your husband, you talk about your son, and you went, oh, uh, and uh, you know, and I, and I'm a mean coach. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm dope on the sideline. But you know, I was actually, I was a cheerleader. Uh-huh. I was a cheerleader uh, okay. through high school and at Clark Atlanta University. So oh, I'm a no. proud HBCU alum. I know go, you there. had our president on mm-hmm. the show recently. I love it. Um, I love so it. I got to cheer and coach from the sidelines uh-huh. for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so my journey, my journey, and as I built, built out, you know, who I am is one, Part of it, I would say my time at an historically black college at Clark Atlanta, you know, our motto was find a way or make one. Right. And that translated not just in the classroom, but it really was in life. And it goes even beyond that. You know, I was, you know, raised, um, you know, by my brothers um, who had sort of the mindset of like, forge your path, know who you are and know who you ain't. Mm-hmm. Um, don't anyone that sort of doubts you or underestimate you uh, underestimates you use that as fuel to drive your passion Mm -hmm. and be trusting and open. So God has been, you know, my guide of my life uh, for me and my family. Um, for years, we were those kids that are, um, we'd be at church all day. Mm -hmm. We'd be there for, uh, Sunday school service as well as potluck. (laughs) Um, so we were in the church, um, a lot. And so my faith, is really important. So kind of what led me um, kind of on this path is 
I believe that nothing's impossible. Right. And I don't have this um, over confidence, but I do believe in uh, determination and hard work. So putting putting in the extra hours and being okay and confident walking in the doors, even if there's no one in that room that looks like you, um, being confident and trusting and open in who I am right. and what I'm capable of has really been one of the things that have driven me. When I went to the Dollywood Company, mm-hmm. um, I was you know one of less than you know five African Americans in the management team. I was one of two in leadership, and it was such a, a special culture there. Um, Dolly Parton believed like we opened our doors at Dollywood to all people every day, regardless. And the desire was, how do we create families, uh, experiences for families that are worth repeating? Regardless to what color you are mm-hmm. and your background, everybody's here for that, mm-hmm. right? Um, something that's meaningful, something that's special, something that's memorable. So that's really at the root. I sort of know my why. I know what my purpose is. And my purpose is to really help to influence people to just spend time together. And now the basketball, that round ball has been uniting families and uniting people of all walks of life for decades. I just got the rock. Right. And have the opportunity through the Globetrotters who have been trailblazers, who've been breaking down barriers, who with where society is and how racial injustice is like um, truly at the forefront that right has reached this pinnacle where there's zero tolerance from, you know, our next generation I'm able to help use basketball as a means to really deliver that message on behalf of our players right. and the Globetrotters way and what they've been doing for 95 years. Well, you know, an interesting thing about it, because, you know, just, I'm just trying to put the right words in perspective, just to sell my point of view when the, the court, the, because the Globetrotter brand is like court gestures, you know, they, I think they've been having their good fun and sometimes they're having that good time in front of white people. And then when the, when the George mm-hmm. Floyd hit, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure there was a perception, or maybe it wasn't a perception, of how what role does the does the Globe Charters play in turning that corner of what a, who who are they speaking for, and what brand or what culture are they trying to represent? And you mm. looked at it and said, "Hey, we are a black brand. We are a black culture." And social justice has to be part of the messaging. Was that a difficult spin? Uh, was it a difficult spin for your players to understand, or your player felt it was a breath of fresh air when you introduced these new ideas or these new cultural changes to the to the Harlem Globetrotters? Because Harlem Globetrotters are what they are. They're they're basketball phenoms, mm-hmm. male and female. But again, what are they off the court? That's what I believe. That's the story you're trying to tell now. Correct. Absolutely. Uh, the Harlem Globetrotters players are superheroes both on and off the court. Mm-hmm. And any player that you speak to and they talk about the legacy of the shoulders in which they stand on of the great Curly Nils and the Metal Arc Lemons of um, of the Sweet Lou Dunbars of, you know, their desire to just spread love, um, this idea of spreading game, of being that phenomenal player, that athlete on the court, but really being that um, hero, that inspiration, that motivation off the court. And I think that's something that hasn't been seen of, well, what are the Harlem Globetrotters like outside of the jersey? Right. Because 
that's where the personal bond, right, is made. That's how us as people find our heroes, find our stars, find those, you know, individuals that we look up to. It's who you are inside and outside the jersey when you have your superhero strength going and when you don't. And that's really been the focus and sort of the why and the why now. Our purpose of the Globetrotters is world-class basketball showmanship, uniting families, and spreading joy. And we've lost our relevance and our ability to do that. As culture has evolved, you sort of said it. We've been these basketball phenoms, you know, kind of considered, right, you know, these these tricks um, that they do and mm-hmm. this experience that they create. Mm-hmm. We've had some fans for decades, but we've had people that are also saying, are the Globetrotters still around? Right. <laughs> So we, right, mm-hmm. and that just hurts, mm-hmm. right? That hurts. So we want to reach that younger um, eight to ten year old African American boy and his parents. Mm-hmm. And if we start to look at that, because they're that's just synonymous with um, basketball culture. Mm-hmm. Basketball basketball is synonymous with style, um, and the halo effect that African Americans have on culture, on brands, on businesses. Um, we believe that is going to appeal and draw the next generation of fans. So the elephant in the room, people ask, well, does it, that mean you don't want your Caucasian families, you know, the family who've been bought, who love the Globetrotters and have always loved the Globetrotters. You don't want them as fans anymore. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This is really an, it's an, and not an, or, and it's important for us to open ourselves up to be relevant in the culture. Right. So that we can see that 100th, 100th year anniversary and we have generations com- coming up that love the Globetrotters in the same way that those from the past have. Well, you have to stand for something, you know, I and mean, that's what you were just saying, you know, and you're saying that what are the other than basketball, other than uh, trick artists, other than entertainers for longevity purposes? What do you stand? And if you stand somewhere and it has a, a basis of reality, authenticity, as they like to say nowadays, a sense of purpose, as they like to say nowadays, and that's, that's right. what you find, that's what you built back into the Harlem Globetrotters, because that's why they were founded in 1926. That's why they were created, because they were a voice of, 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 you can do this, you can do this too. We can travel to the world, we'd be respected, we can earn income because of our talents. And that's what... I, I believe you switched back to that in a good way because it was needed. And then what happens within the uh, the day-to-day life, the glow, Harlem Globetrotters become relevant. Because at one time, you know, only time I heard news about the Harlem Globetrotters when they were doing some sensational trick, you know, either shooting a ball mm-hmm. off the top of a building, you know, shooting a, a ball from a helicopter. You know, that's when they made the news, you know. Now they're making the news because of a brand that's socially conscious and aware of their fan base and their fans. And that's what you were saying. You're not trying to turn away every your fans. You're just trying to say, this is who we are. Welcome us for who we are because you're welcoming us because of our talents. Except that, because that's the only way you're going to get growth from the young people. Because the young people are about authenticity. And that's what you're trying to reach. You Having a fan that's 50, 60 years old, that is not going to grow your ticket sales. Having a fan starting at 5, <laughs> 10, 15, they're going to have kids. And when they have kids, they're going to have more kids. You know, so it becomes a generational growth, and that's what National Football League has figured out, and that's what you're trying to do right now with the Harlem Globetrotter. In your mind, is it working? Wow, we're at the beginning of the beginning. Mm-hmm. So we stepped out in our Jay-Z, allow me to reintroduce myself moment on July 21st. Mm-hmm. 
um, in a bold way. And we are touching every aspect, you know, of the brand and business, because as you said, um, ticket sales are important mm-hmm. and that's really been the, the, the cornerstone of our business. But really, we're re-evolving the Globetrotters to a branded entertainment company that also tours. Right. So if our fans want to engage and connect with us in YouTube, where that's where they like to be entertained, well, that's where we want to be. Apparel and product, um, if that's what they use to sort of identify, you know, the the brands that share the same values, right, that that mean something to them. We want to be in those spaces and places as well. That's why we changed our uniform. Um, the Globetrotters have never had a black uniform, you know, with the red, white, and blue. We partnered with Undercrown, mm-hmm. um, Dustin Cannellan, and Carrie Cruz, who are just fantastic lifestyle designers to really modernize but maintain the tradition. Right. That you know, so that that is what we've done in terms of looks. So is it working? I think one, the response and the engagement that we've seen from fans has been phenomenal. It's been phenomenal. That's the key. Um, We are just ramping up. We have brands that are, uh, that magnet is, is being created Mm -hmm. and our players, it's really about how we elevate our players as stars. And the more we start to see that happen where people know by name, Oh, I love Latif Jet Rivers. Mm-hmm. Because he has that killer crossover, right? But he can cook <laughs> a mean beef brisket. Yes, yes, right. Yes, or yes, his yes. TikToks are out of control. So that's the once we start to see that, then we know that it's really crystallizing. But um, right now, the early indicators are fantastic. But we are just getting started. I, I refer to us as we're a ninety-five-year-old startup. Oh well, I'm, I'm happy to be there with you. Now you mentioned something, Clark Atlanta University, an HBCU that's uh, in the heart of Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. I'm doing an event over there, yeah. uh, September 25th, called HBCU College Day, and uh, it's on the campus. And what I'm doing is I'm bringing all the HBCUs from the state of Georgia. And some are coming from Alabama and from North Carolina, and I got the, I got the, uh, I got Morgan Stanley. I got some, uh, I got the, the boy, Big Brothers Big Sisters. I got the NFL, all the Coke Bottle United, Coca Cola United bottlers involved. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I'm trying to do is I'm getting all the high school students to come in. You know, we, we're doing social distancing. My mask will be available. Sanitizer will be available to come to Clark Atlanta University okay. to get the HBCU experience. We're going to have DJ there. We're going to have steppers. We're going to have drum lines. And we're going to have speakers. And I, I think it'll be a, a perfect. And we're going to have my man DJ Mars is going to be spending. He's going to have a BMX yes. bike shop set up. And then the military is going to have an actual F-16 jet there and a hangar there. And and wow. uh, we're going to have the Air Force there, the Air National Guard there. I, I I just think, you know, when you said Clark Atlanta University alumni and you're the vice president of marketing, I think I got to have a globetrotter <laughs> there at least as a representative showing off this new uniform. Now, I'm not trying to put no pressure on you. but when you, I didn't know nothing about <laughs> Clark Atlanta University, but I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you I was doing this big event September 25th that the whole city's going to know about in a couple of weeks because I'm going to start advertising on all the radio stations. I just think that'd be cool to really bring that brand down there just to showcase it just in a very organic manner because it's on the campus where you are from, you graduated from, and we are trying to just bring the HBCU experience to all the students in the state of Georgia, high school students and young juniors and seniors who attend Clark Atlanta, Spelman, and all of they can get Fortune 500 job. Companies are going to be there recruiting. We're going to have HBCU college recruiters and military recruiters. So that's what HBCU 
HBCU College Day. I, I just, I just want to just bring that up to you and say, hey, an invite is on your desk right now to come down there with your, with your, with your troop you. or one or two or however you want to do it because I think it'll be special. Oh, that is fantastic. Uh, as we said, Clark Atlanta, we will find a way or make one. Oh, good, good. Because like I said, because yes. I'll be hosting it. I will host it, you know, and uh, we're going to have a stage, 20 by 40 foot stage, and we'll be sitting there doing our thing. Okay. It's just going to be really great. And, you know, Dr. French is probably going to be there. He's the president of Clark Atlanta University. Uh, mm-hmm. We've developed a really nice relationship. But it's about your brand and bringing it into natural relationships. And, and I just thought of, uh, at least I'll be remiss if I didn't bring it up because I think that you when you said you a certain smile and certain pride came out of you when you said Clark Atlanta University. Right. <laughs> That's right. We can't help it. We can't help it. And we, I mean, partnerships with HBCUs, um, especially as we sort of look across our business, mm-hmm. um, we want to, again, with our staff, with our team, uh, to sort of be, reflect, again, the audience that we want to serve. So how we start to look and recruit and look at developing programs with HBCUs Right to sort of how what are some of the opportunities within live entertainment, live events, touring industry, the touring industry that these students might even know don't know exist right. for them. So cultivating those relationships, they're all about it. Uh, we're developing a certificate program with Savannah State mm. that is for um, live events um, and entertainment to really start to teach the coursework. So whether you want to work at a venue, you mm-hmm. know. Um, State Farm Arena, or you want to work on a traveling tour, you know, like our Harlem Globetrotters tour, what does that look like? What's the skill set? What do you study? What's that curriculum? And then the, the desire is then that then gets rolled out at other HBCUs around the country. So we're excited about that partnership with Savannah State and um, any opportunity to get back to my campus. I'm all about it. I might I'm have to call my cheerleaders. I'm going to give you a booth. My best all, friends ahead. Here all this extra stuff. I'm going to give you a 10 by 10 booth. So if you want to use that 10 by 10 booth to just to decorate in the Harlem Globetrotter and all and bring some people down, please know the gift is yours because that's Savannah State information you just gave me and your passion for developing that brand relationship with HBCUs. It's where I'm at my life, you know, about trying to, you know, just, mm. just step it up. I ESPN a couple of years ago. I went over there with uh, Stephen A. Smith and uh, Dave Rob David Roberts, and they allowed me to broadcast the first take for two hours. And we've over the last couple of yes. years, we've registered two thousand students to attend HBCUs and raised eleven million dollars in scholarship dollars. And so, I know that that's where that's one of my legacies I'm building in my life. And just to hear you being a proud graduate, you know, I just had to bring that up. And uh, definitely off air, you know, I get my team to talk to your people because it's going to be September twenty fifth. That's a Saturday, ten a.m. to okay. six p.m. And I uh, definitely like to see the Harlem Grove Charles down there. But before we go, two things I want to t- you to talk about is the Spread the Game Tour and the Dear NBA yes. Letter. I'd be happy to. So our Spread Game Tour, uh, as we relaunched the Globe Trotters, we started touring in July and we're visiting several cities around the country. It's everything that you love about uh, the Globe Trotters um, and then some. So that flash and flair of the game, it is uh, entertaining. You're going to see that, the, the skillfulness of our players. We partnered with um, some folks from Broadway. So that was one of the gifts uh, for us when our business came to a screeching halt during the pandemic was Broadway's bid too. And we wanted to reimagine what our show experience was. So we partnered with the Broadway team. So there's some new characters mm-hmm. that you'll meet. I kind of describe it. It's like um, 
an all-star Saturday night where you see that incredible deep range shooting uh, dunks that are out of this world and the the ball handling and some beautiful passes. Meet, I'm dating myself in living color. Right. <laughs> so, if you like that, oh, yeah. if you put those scenes together, that's what you're going to get in the Spread Game Tour. Um, the music is just fantastic. It's just a good time. Mm-hmm. So, we'll continue touring through September. We'll be announcing some additional dates mm-hmm. for the tour that'll be coming later this year. So, that'll be coming. Um, so, uh, though we're going to take a, a time out in touring in September, just to kind of amp up the show and experience and, and, and get ready for a second run that's going to start in, um, in, in December right. mm-hmm. is when the next uh, set of dates will be coming to several cities around the country as well as we'll be going back out internationally. And then you're going to ask about the Dear NBA. So yes, our letter to the NBA, is that what you're referring <laughs> yes, to? Yes, I was asking. I, I got to know. I got to know. I got to know. <laughs> <laughs> so... We talked about this at the start. The NBA would not be what it is today had it not been for the Harlem Globetrotters. Mm-hmm. So um, we were trailblazers in integrating the game of basketball, and we love what the NBA has grown and become. Um, and we think that we deserve a franchise. So as the NBA commissioner has been exploring that idea of new franchises, a new team, we'd want to be one of those teams. And we think that um, it'll bring just this win-win for the NBA as well as fans that, you know, some of that Globetrotter style mm-hmm. um, of bringing that into the, the the NBA experience would be just fantastic. We would field the right level of talent that would be needed uh, for an NBA franchise while continuing to do our more um, entertainment show style tours um, really separately. But, um, the, the response from fans has just been fantastic. And we really look forward to the opportunity to, to talk to the commissioner about this opportunity. That's pretty powerful. Well, I'm talking to Sonny Hickman, the vice president of marketing and sales for the Harlem Globetrotters and a proud Clark Atlanta University graduate. And she's a mean basketball coach. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Don't say less. <laughs> uh, Sonny, thank you we for coming on. spread a little game. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations. I really appreciate it. It has been an honor. Thank you for having me. We will be right back with more Money Making Conversation with Rashawn McDonald. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversations with your daily minute of inspiration. I sat down with my new friend, Ryan Morgan. Despite being incarcerated for a bank robbery at 19 years old, he used his education and athleticism to become the founder and CEO of Aqua Equity Water. Here's what Ryan Morgan had to say. I grew up in San Bernardino, which is uh, inner city, much like Watts or Oakland, a lot of projects a lot of poverty and therefore a lot of the gangs. You feel like when you're in the inner city and it's in a, it's a misconception and, and this is what we're trying to expose that to bring truth and light. But you feel like you have limited options to where either to make money, I got to play sports or I got to do something illegal and hustle because I don't have another avenue for me to help get out of this poverty uh, and this hardship in this inner city. If you want to hear this full interview with Ryan Morgan, it's available on moneymakingconversations.com. Now let's return to Money Making Conversation with Rashawn McDonald. 
My next guest is Zakia Delila Harris. She lives in Brooklyn and enjoys writing about her black culture, literature, and oldies music. We really got to get into that because she's under 30. Okay? She's under 30 now. Oldies music. You know, I want to know, does her oldies go to the new edition or does her oldies <laughs> go beyond new editions? Because her oldies, yeah. right, is, is her oldie. My oldie might be different. She holds a master's in fine arts and creative writing from the new school. She has made a splash with her first novel, The Other Black Girl. It sets in New York's publishing world. The psychological uh, thriller incorporates social commentary and about diversity in the workplace and the challenges black women often have to navigate. The other black girl was bid on by 14, you hear me, 14 publishing offices before landing a seven-figure deal for her first novel. So you probably wonder why she's smiling. That's why she's smiling. The seven-figure <laughs> deal. She's not smiling because she likes Rashawn McDonald. She's smiling because she had a seven-figure deal. And I know what that looks like. And it's also said to become a big hit television series on Hulu. That's another reasons why she's smiling. And uh, written alongside uh, Rashida Jones, which we don't know Rashida Jones, that's Quincy Jones' daughter, very talented actress. She's on the show to discuss building your dream. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Zakia, Zakia Delila Harris. How are you doing? <clears throat> I'm doing great with that introduction you just gave me. <laughs> well, it was fun. You. You know, it was a little fun worked into there because of the fact that, you know, we should be happy. We should. You're, you're, the, you're that age. They call it millennial age, you know, and, you know, you, you, you jumped out there and you, you put to use working another job. And why did you leave your job to introduce yourself in the world of, of a novelist? Yeah, well, you know, I got to say I have loved writing since I was five or mm -hmm. maybe even before then, mm -hmm. whenever I first learned how to write. So I've always wanted to be a writer. Mm -hmm. um, my dad is a writer as well. Okay. So very early on, I saw that as a possible career trajectory for me. Mm -hmm. um, and as I got older, I kept writing, um, kind of realized I'd have to do other things also because it's hard <laughs> to be a writer, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, hence publishing. But I also loved working with writers and mm -hmm. talking about structure and, and uh, writing on a micro level. So all of those things kind of led me here. But ultimately for me, you know, after a couple years of, of working in publishing, mm -hmm. I just knew I couldn't work on my own writing if I was putting myself into other authors. So I was like, you know what, let me just invest in this, see it through, um, leave this permanent well paid, well, not well paying, but paying pay, and health insurance. Pay, pay. Okay. Yes. Especially <laughs> in New York and try to figure this out and it worked out. <laughs> well, let's, 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 let's slow it down a little bit because, you know, I, you're a novelist and you're saying that you were watching other people's work. Did that help you? Wow. Did that allow you to see, you know, because uh, a lot of books get published, a lot of books get published, don't get sold. Okay, we know that yeah. for a fact. So, yeah. and being a person who's getting to see and being able to critique and being able to discuss work with other, other people in your position, what did you learn from that? Oh, absolutely. That was, that was huge for me. Um, being on, well, first of all, I should say before I went into publishing, I did my MFA in nonfiction writing. So I was very used to having people, um, critique my, my world and mm -hmm. my life. I was literally writing personal essays, mm -hmm. um, about my own insecurities and my own questioning of you know, who I was and where, I, where I'm from, I'm from Connecticut. Um, so all of those things, having eyes on my work in that way helped. And then being eyes on someone else's work helped. Right. And when I was working at editorial, because yeah, you're so right. Like there are so many great stories out there that never get a publisher mm -hmm. for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And there are so many hurdles 
Um, and I was aware of all of those things, but I also thankfully knew how to navigate this world and knew all of the steps that go into it. And I know for me, that was really empowering to be able to be like, okay, here is the function that an agent is supposed to have. I want to find the right person who will represent me and be someone who is understanding what I'm trying to do and advocate for me in the way that I need to be advocated for. It also allows me to advocate for myself. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, I'm speaking with the author of the very popular book, The Other Black Girl. It's going to become a television series on Hulu. Zakia, Zakia, when you talk about um, writing, what makes a good writer, you know, what writer or what makes a good storyteller? Because uh, just a little background on me. I'm, I started out in Hollywood as a sitcom writer, series like Sister, Sister. I'm going to get oldies on you. you know, that's me, Sister, Sister, Jamie Foxx, <laughs> you know, Parenthood, the Parkers. That was me. That was me. And so, mm-hmm. and that was a different style of writing. You know, and I, and I, 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 we are not in the same class, okay? You, because it's your storytelling that you're doing allows you to even talk about looking at the thread mm-hmm. in your clothing, as you talk about when you're at the beginning of the book, you know, and uh, looking over your shoulder. It comes, you go to the joke, you go to the moment. Go to the joke, go to the moment. But in your world, because I have a lot of listeners who want to be writers or who want to get their stuff published, uh, material published, what makes a good story writer or storyteller and what is good writing? Mm, mm, that's such a good question. Um, I think it, it depends on who the person is, but I know for me, uh, being just engaged in the world um, was really helpful. Um, I love people watching. I also love meeting new people. I've worked a lot of jobs that required me to talk to people, uh, very different backgrounds from me. Um, and just understanding people or trying to understand people, I think that goes such a long way when you're trying to write mm-hmm. a story. Um, I would also say reading. Uh, just <laughs> reading makes a good storyteller. Um, I was really into reading as a kid. And I will say, like, I kind of fell off in high school because I was required to read a lot of things that I didn't want to have to read. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did find other writers. And in college, I took, I majored in English literature. So I was also taking classes on a Russian literature class. I took a, a class on, on Black literature, a lot of which I'd never heard of, right. of authors mm-hmm. that I'd never been introduced to in high school, like Nikki Giovanni and, and um, Bell Hooks. And so mm-hmm. all of those kind of things, I think it comes with being introverted, um, but also being extroverted um, as much as possible. It's, it's hard now, I think, especially this is the world is where it is. Zakia, now, you use the word introverted. I'm, I'm looking at you now. When was introversion, I would just make up a word. When was introversion in your life, okay? I'm seeing this video, you have a beautiful smile. You, you, oh, you, thank you. you. And I have to say the word magnetic personality, and I'm just seeing you on a screen, Zoom screen here. So when did introverted part of become, what, what, five years old, six years old? It wasn't recent, okay? It was not recent, okay? Talk to me about that term that you just threw out in front of the, in the middle of this interview. You know, I, I'm pretty, I call myself an introverted extrovert. Where, <laughs> I was like, let me get the order right. Uh, because I am, I am someone who, um, I mean, this isn't necessarily an introvert, but I am someone who is in my head a lot. Right. Um, I, I and that, that helped me with this book because mm-hmm. Nella is in her head mm-hmm. all the time and it can be hard to be in her head. Sometimes you want to mm-hmm. get out and that's why I have the other characters right. partly. Mm-hmm. Um, and why we see her in her her world with Malika outside mm-hmm. of this oppressive environment. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I'd say that's that's where. And I can also be shy, and I can also 
kind of sometimes takes me time or especially as a younger person, but this is something now that I am an author and I do have this platform uh, and fortunate enough to have the space to speak on certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know when I was in publishing starting out, I just went with the flow um, and felt like that was what I had to do because I was one of very few people there and I felt just lucky to be there. Well, you know, luck and talent. It's going to be real. You know, I'm talking to mm-hmm. Zakia, you know, the, the other black girl. That's her book. New York Times bestselling, out, bestselling book, uh, named most anticipated book of 2021 by Time Magazine. The Washington Post heralded, Harper's Bazaar heralded, Entertainment Weekly, Bustle, BuzzFeed, Parade, Goodreads, Fortune, and BBC. They've, they've described your book as Get Out Meets the Devil's. Whereas Prada, this you know, that's their version of it. You know, I, I my version of the book was that I've worked in a corporate environment, uh, and uh, where I was uh, maybe the uh, one of the few blacks in the on, on the floor. Great working environment because they had it was a diversity. It was diversified, so I wasn't mm-hmm. like this character who was hoping and wishing that they would see somebody like them. Just somebody walk through the door that can be there so she can communicate and feel a sense of wholeness. And that that really is the, the core of the story. Now, when you start <laughs> developing a story like this, Akia, what set it to your mind? Because like you said, you're in your head, and this story is kind of a, I want to use the word Stephen King type or Jordan Peele type. So... Because I want to go back a little bit, because you, you reference you reference Twilight Zone, you reference a lot of stuff my age. You know what I'm saying? You mentioned old music. You you mentioned Al Green in your book, and you got a, one of your characters' name is Hazel. I don't know no young person <laughs> named Hazel. I don't care who you are. I don't know no millennial named Hazel. Now, at my age, I went to a school with a girl named Hazel. So I know that's an old name. So let's talk about being in your head and the fun the funness of these characters, they're fully fleshed out and the process of coming together and laying out that this book became so anticipated and now it's playing out as a well-read novel and could eventually will be a television series on Hulu. The floor is yours, Miss Introvert. <laughs> <laughs> well, I first got to say, um, Hazel, the name comes from um, one of my, well, I'm just going to say it, my favorite aunt. Um, there you Hazel go. There you go. I told you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she was just such a wonderful, wonderful soul, wonderful human. Um, I always cut everybody baby. And <laughs> I just love the name. And so I was like, I want to write a character who's has this name. So that's actually where Hazel came from. Uh-huh. Um, I love that you brought that up. But yeah, I mean, so when I first started writing the story, I had just the simple idea of Nella and Hazel and something's messed up about Hazel. I didn't know what it was going to be. I just knew that they were going to have a hard time um, because of this environment uh, that is very white and made up of a lot of white people who are mm-hmm. constantly watching them mm-hmm. and assuming what their relationship's going to be like. And then that, on top of what Nella assumes the relationship is going to be like, because she has this whole idea of like, oh, we're both natural. We're both in this space. We must have had similar experiences. We must have a similar outlook mm-hmm. on being Black in this space. But we don't all think the same. Right. <laughs> we all have different opinions. And right. uh, not everybody is out there to help everybody else. Right. And everyone has their own kind of boundaries and their own idea of code switching and their own idea of selling out, if I may say. Um, and what d- makes those things different, if there is anything. And so all of those are things with Nella and Hazel that I was thinking about. And then specifically in terms of Nella... Because for me, while I was working in book publishing, and just in general, I've often 
to people in my past who have also gone through these things. So right. I've talked to my dad who worked in a corporate environment in the nineties in New York. I've talked to, um, other people in publishing who worked in publishing years before it is what it is now and mm-hmm. their experiences. So I felt like with Nella, there needed to be this beacon and the way that Toni Morrison was for me working in book publishing, because she'd also worked in editorial mm-hmm. once upon a time. I knew Nella would have that beacon as well. And it came in the form of and Diana. Now let's talk about the book. You know, I've been fortunate with Steve Harvey, uh, Three number one best-selling books. That word number one is really, and not just a word, it's, that's a powerful word. And uh, I remember the first book, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man, which eventually was sold more than three million copies and also mm-hmm. uh, was translated in 30 different languages, which I'm sure this book is being translated as we speak, if it hasn't already been done. Um, going in and seeing your book, okay, in a store or at the airport. Let's talk about that because I know I used to go in the store. I should look. Oh, that is the there. Or we just joke around and uh, I take my book, or his book, and move it up and move it around. <laughs> you know, or go into a store. You know, and say, hey, wh- why is this book back there? You, do you know? Do you know an <laughs> author named Steve Harvey? You know, is a comedian has his little book called Act Like Lady, Think Like a Man. Talk about that because that's so much fun. You know, because you work real hard and your cover clearly has a. Is a statement covered the other black girl. Talk about that part of it and then allowing your family to experience going out there and seeing it on the shelves as well. Yeah, that part's been so cool. It's been so cool. I mean, because you imagine what it's going to be like and mm-hmm. you just can't possibly know. And to go into the store and see this cover that um, had, yeah, I mean, the the best possible story behind a cover because I know it is hard out there, especially for black authors to Mm -hmm. get that representation, um, in the cover itself. And so for me, when I was writing this book, I knew of course, going into it that as an author, you, you do have a say, but depending on your contract, you can only say so much. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, your team, the publisher has, a lot more say generally. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I went in uh, to those cover conversations, I knew I wanted to have a black artist uh, design the cover. Mm-hmm. And my agent and I sat down and we created a list of black artists that we found on Instagram, online. And one particular author um, was Emmy Coker. And he is a Nigerian born uh, artist, I believe. And he created this gorgeous piece of artwork for um twitter's juneteenth last year right it's called my black is and so basically this image of the cover it's a little different but the thing i loved about it i mean royalty a profile view of her you see her she's looking regal um and you also have that earring which is an afro (laughs) pick with a black power fist which is the kind of pick that i actually got the first time I went natural a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's also a pick that my dad happened to have growing up back oh, when he had hair still. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it felt like... Hey, hey, don't be laughing at your dad and me. Okay, don't <laughs> laugh at us, okay? I had the pick. I, now. I had the pick. We just we the same age. <laughs> Summer right now, my dad is like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the fact that, you know, this artwork happened and my designer um who did jimmy acabelli who is at simon and schuster uh, took that design and made it into this cover and the artist of course was so lovely about it too tummy coco was like 
absolutely, we need more Black women authors. I'm excited to be a part of it. And this is all connected to the pick. It just felt so right. And right. it's so exciting to me that young Black people will go into the store, go into to Walmart, into uh, that independent bookstore, Barnes & Noble, Google Play, whatever, and see this image and right. see just Blackness in this way in your face. I just love it. Well, you should love it. And, you, and it's a blessing to see that happen. And we know when I when I look at uh, genres like this that go into that horror, it was only several years ago when you saw a horror, um, a horror movie always in a black character. You always knew the black character is going to die first. You always said that was just yep. running joke. Yeah. The black character is going to die first. I don't know what that brother, I hope he got paid. He didn't act long. But the other <laughs> black girl, you know, it combines all these extraordinary genres. It's a dark comedy. It's horror. It's a thriller. It plays with your mind. It's science fiction and more. How were you able to mix all all these the same, blend them all together comfortably because one thing I want to just say this about you, Sakia, is that you are so descriptive in your writing. I mean, it's, it's very detailed, and it's which allows me to really visualize the moment of the scene that you're trying to create, which is a gift in itself. And I, I feel that's what really kind of got everybody excited because they could feel your experience. They could almost smell your experience and also could emotionally be engaged in your experience from the description of the hair or the, or the, or the big earrings when y'all are laughing together or sitting in the, in the count and the sun coming through. Uh, you, you, you even wrote, balled up the, the, paper, the paper and threw it in the trash. You even, you even wrote that in your, in, your, in your language of your book. And it was like, wow, she is really, really on point here. Talk about weaving all those things together. And that's a strong compliment because, like I said, that's something I can't do. And that's a gift and a blessing that you have. Oh, I, I really appreciate that so much. Um, that means a lot to me. Yeah, I mean, for me, blending everything, I'm not going to say it was easy because it took a lot of eyes on my work. It took um, people that I met during my grad school days. It took my dad. It took <laughs> my agent, my editor, a lot of people. Um, but for me, it was easy in a lot of ways. <laughs> it's just in the sense of knowing that's what I wanted to do because I do feel like so much of the Black experience is often humor and fun and joy, but then also there's like a bitterness that right. we have to often navigate through. And there's a horrifying nature, especially just as black people day to day who get up and see the news, see what's happening to us, and then have to go to work or create. And how do you manage all of those things? It's, it's horrifying. And so really getting that down and showing what was at stake for Nella's experiences, but also showing Nella having fun, <laughs> showing her living her full life outside of work. That was, that was a really crucial part of the writing process for me. And I guess that doesn't really answer your question. But <laughs> well, it answers my question in the sense that you are, you know, I want to say, all over the place, but with a sense of story, proper storytelling, because I had to be able to, you know, like I said, I, I could relate to her insecurities because they were, this book is tied to insecurities. It's yeah. because she's pushed along and some of the flaws that pop out or some of the mistakes she get into are tied to taking bad suggestions or suggestions yeah. that she shouldn't, that she should like lead with her first thought and then it just stumbles and it just starts unraveling. And that's this, the, the part of it that really catches your eye and makes it relatable because we all have been there. And so I'm talking to the author of the incredible book, The Other Black Girls, 
the other black girl, the New York Times bestseller, her name is Zakia. Before we wrap up, I mentioned her name early on, uh, Rashida Jones. Uh, and this, the book is being, um, is she going to star in the, or is she just going to take an executive producer role in the Hulu series that the book is being adapted for? Yeah, we're, we're still in the early stages. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now we are co-writing the pilot um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. episode. Of another Issa Ray. Together. Are we talking about so another Issa Ray here? We, we have been, <laughs> you know, talking a lot mm-hmm. over the last year now, I guess. Wow. Uh-huh. Um, just about the shape, um, the outline, how the characters are going to be different right. in the show versus the, the book and, and what we do want to keep mm-hmm. because the conversations about blackness and diversity have changed just in the last year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So exploring that and how to make the show feel as relevant as it could be feeling at the time. That's that's been really interesting and fun. Because again also we all have different ideas of just progress and the best way to convey those insecurities you mentioned, those anxieties and all of those things. Um, because I come from a very different background right. as working Rashida Jones does, but right. we have worked so well together and she's just wonderful and took me under her way. Right. That's been the most amazing part. I would tell you this to Zakia, you know, Yes, there have been a lot of outward changes, okay? Yeah. But it hasn't changed. Okay. So no. that's why your book was very relatable. So don't try to don't try to fit it in. Because you're oh, not no, no, no. Yeah. You're not gonna fit <laughs> it in. I think it's a- actually gotten more insidious. Right. This idea of um, you know, especially with the Twitter, the the performative aspect of what we saw last year right. and companies being like, Oh, yeah, we're more diverse now. I actually think it's gotten even Maybe worse. That's maybe a little too small, but I don't know. <laughs> well, because it's a brilliant book. And uh, before I leave, I want to tease you about, you know, this old soul, this drifting inside your head, this introverted head here. You know, the Twilight Zone references. I'm going like, really? Really? Twilight Zone? Then she references uh, old music and all this stuff. Talk about you in general. So you, you seem so relatable. You seem like a genuine person that I could really continually talk to and laugh at. I can take you to a comedy club. I'm not asking you for a date. I'm just saying I can take you to a comedy club. I can take you to a jazz concert. I can take you to a Frankie Beverly and Mays concert. That type of thing. Oh, look at Oh, yeah. Look at that. And so I just feel that this book allows you to have those those levels and the credibility and writing it. So is, is that, was that tied to just your upbringing, your parents putting the music on? Talk about, you mentioned your Aunt Hazel, one of the characters is named after that. Talk about that and also telling writers how, like you said, read a lot, read a lot, read a lot. But it's also about sharing your honest story, lifestyle in this book, and it, be, and it made it authentic, correct? Definitely. Well, the music thing absolutely comes from my parents. I grew up with so many kinds of music in the household, mostly, I mean, on my dad's side, I had Aretha Franklin, I had uh, Jerry Butler, the Spinners, Mm -hmm. all of the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, R&B and soul. Um, And my mom's side, I had um, a lot of Jackson 5 and a lot of... um, different artists. I mean, Rod Stewart too. Like I also come from a very diverse music background as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was really fun to play on and reference for people who would catch those references. So I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I think making sure when you are writing your 
story. Just don't worry too much about what's coming down the line. I mean, of course you're going to, I know I did. And I was kind of, sometimes I'd fall into those holes of like, oh, well, if I keep it in the publishing world, you know, what's, what's, what are we going to say? Or, right. oh, if I, if I get too much into the kitchen of this black woman's hair, like, but I was like, you know what? I need to just tell this story right. the way that is true for me. Right. And I think if you do that, it will ring true for Reiner. Yeah, learning how to braid on the U- via YouTube—that's authentic to me. I'm just going to let you know. I'm just—I yeah. read the book, my friend, and it's a brilliant book. Thank you for allowing me to come into your world. The other black girl, Sakia Delila Harris. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation. You're fantastic. Oh, right back at you. This is so much fun. Thank you. <laughs> and tell your dad, you know, I, I got it going on. You know, I got it going on. Okay. Again, I will. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation. If you want to hear any of my interviews or see any of my interviews on Money Making Conversations, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. You've been listening to Money Making Conversations with Rashawn McDonald. Please join us next week. And always remember, lead with your gifts. Money Making Conversations is a presentation of 3815 Media Incorporated. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversations with your daily Minute of Inspiration. This week I sat down with my new friend, Dr. Tabitha Carr, who's become the leading authority in women's health and wellness. She's the founder of the vegan-based Good Girl Chocolate that's been featured at Grammys and the Oscars. She was also the 2020 grant recipient of Beyonce's Be Good Foundation. Here's what Dr. Tabitha Carr had to say. I don't say, oh, I have a healthy chocolate. I say, I have a chocolate that supports this lifestyle that's right. free of the gluten, the soy, you know, the dairy, supporting the vegan, the paleo, and the Whole30 lifestyle. We also have a sugar-free chocolate that has xylitol when it comes to alternative sweeteners for the diabetic and for the keto community. If you were to listen to this full interview with Dr. Tabitha Carr, it's available on Money Making Conversations dot com.